Hey there, John Morris here, johnmorrisonline.com. Welcome back to another episode of the John Morris Show. This one, I actually wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna do an episode on this. This all came up because of a core question I saw over the weekend. I was kind of just sitting around a little bored and saw this question, and someone had requested that I answer it, and I thought, well, I'll just jump in and answer this question because I sort of ha- thought felt like I had a good answer for it, and I was just gonna leave it at that, but. I, I sent a e- I emailed about it on I think it was Saturday or Sunday I can't remember which day, and the response that I've got to it has been pretty crazy. So I decided to go ahead and do a full episode on this because it sounds like or seems like people want the answer to this question. So the question, uh, as it's stated on Core, is I'm going to go online freelancing and spend five hours a day on it. I'm a front end web engineer. What do I do? What should I do specifically to make around fifty thousand a year? to pay for my education. So that's the question. We're going to get into that. We'll cover, I did an episode and I'll, I'll link to all this stuff on the show notes page for this episode, which will be johnmorrisshow.com slash 272, I believe. Let me double check that real quick. So uh, over here, yep, johnmorrisshow.com slash 272. So I'll link to every all the resources I'm going to mention here, but First thing we're going to talk about is the math. I've done an episode on this. I'll I'll talk about that when I go through it and where you can go even more into it. But I think it's important you start by figuring out the math. Then we're going to go beyond that, though, and how do we actually make the math work, meaning what is the strategy we, we take for actually getting out there and getting the necessary work we need to be able to do that. And then I'm going to end it with sort of my unsolicited advice on how to keep yourself sane through all throughout all of this, because I, I did all of this one year and you get to a point where it starts to be a little hard to say no to the money that people are sort of throwing at you. And if you get caught up in too much in it, it can really burn you out. So we're going to talk about that and and the big thing that you need to do in order to deal with that. So all that coming up in this episode, of course, before I do, I do want to encourage you to head on over to store.johnmorrisonline.com and help support the show. Also get the coding training you need as a regular listener of the show. You can use the coupon code JMO at checkout for 20% off anything in the store. But all my coding courses, my PHP courses, my object-oriented programming, uh, my Upwork 101 course, which is highly relevant to what we're going to be talking about here and freelancing and getting work and so forth. All that stuff is over there, again, at store.johnmorrisonline.com, coupon code JMO at checkout for 20% off. So I'd appreciate if you'd check that out. All right. So with that out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into this. So like I said, the first thing that you need to do is you need to figure out the math. Now, the question over on Cora, they had there were a few answers on it already, and to those people's credit, they had talked about the math a little bit, but they they kind of only talked about the math, so that's why I wanted to jump in and answer it. Plus, I I approach the math a little bit differently than I think they were. So I actually start with the hourly rate, and the reason I start with the hourly rate is because. That's something that you're going to need to decide right off the bat. Before, you, When you go to put up your services page, when you go to put up uh, maybe an Upwork profile or whatever, you have to decide that really before you do anything else. So it's important that you sort of tackle that first. Now, as I mentioned, I did a full sort of podcast on this when I go through numbers in a bunch of different ways. Uh, you can go to johnmorrisshow.com slash 255. There is that episode where I break this down. Uh, in a bunch of different ways, but basically what, and I, and I talk about how I figured out these numbers, but basically in that podcast, what I mentioned is that 
over on Upwork, which is a good litmus test for this kind of thing because of it's the biggest freelancing site in the world. It's there's a lot of competition, so it the the numbers there if you if you filter them right sort of give you some pretty good idea of what clients are going to be expecting to pay. And basically, it was sixty to seventy dollars an hour seemed to be about the range for developers that were actually getting a decent amount of work. And it's important to look at that because you could take all of the developers and try to look at the average, but some of those people may not be getting any work at all. And so it doesn't really help you to to understand what clients are going to want or expect if you're looking at numbers based on developers or freelancers that aren't getting any work. So I set up the filters to 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 figure all that sort of stuff out. And again, about 60 to $70 an hour seems to be the average range. But let's just say that you're new and maybe don't have the job history and, and stuff that some of those people do. So you're going to go a little bit lower. So let's just go with the number $50 an hour. And just for context, at least where I'm from, $50 an hour really is, is I would say, still fairly low for a, a developer who you know can can do a pretty good job that's still fairly low it's not a crazy big number uh, again from where I'm from different countries and different places you got to adjust all of these numbers right you might not be trying to make 50k in a year uh, as well so you have to adjust all this but again fifty dollars an hour is really not a big crazy number so at that rate to make fifty thousand dollars in a year, you would need to clock a thousand build hours over the course of that year, which is about 20 hours a week or three build hours a day. So if you look at the question, he, uh, he said he was willing to spend, he was able to spend five hours a day on it. In this scenario, he would only have to have three of those hours be build actual working hours, which would give him a couple hours either for free time or to to do his marketing, to to be bidding on jobs on say Upwork, etc. The actual getting work part of things. So well within uh, that 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 five hour a day sort of limit. Now I've found in my time on Upwork that it is fairly easy to find clients who will give you at least five hours a week of work. I Most of the clients that I worked with, that was pretty standard. It was at least that. So that means in order to make all these numbers work, you your bottom line is you would need four clients all giving you five hours a week and all paying you $50 an hour. If you did that week in and week out, you would make over $50,000 a year. And again, four clients, that's really not, it's not a ton. There's probably a lot less than what people imagine in their head. So it's not a, it's not a ton of clients. Five hours a week is not a, a lot of hours to get from an individual client. And you may need to adjust. Some clients may not give you five, so you may need five clients, whatever. But this gives you sort of a benchmark to work from. So and then so four clients, five hours and fifty dollars an hour, none of those numbers are super crazy. So this is entirely doable. Now, as I mentioned, of course, adjust these for your situations and you don't have to use Upwork like I did when I did all this. Although if you do use uh Upwork, one I, I recommend checking out the podcast I did where I break down a four hundred uh K Upwork profile, one of the more successful profiles that I found over there. And I break it down and show you how they actually built their profile. And of course, modeling someone who's had a ton of success is a really good way to learn. So that episode is johnmorrisshow.com slash 236. If you are going to use Upwork, I recommend uh, listening to that. But 
again, as I mentioned, you need to start off by doing the math and knowing what you've got to do on a daily, weekly, and monthly basis. I don't recommend that you focus too much on the 50K part of it because that's just a big, vague sort of number and goal that doesn't really give you any sort of clarity in terms of what you need to do on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. So focus on those smaller numbers, and if you hit those numbers, then the 50K uh, will come. All right, so that's that's the math part of it, and that's all fine and well. But the math doesn't really tell you how to get the four clients and how to be able to charge the $50 an hour. I think that's the next sort of natural question and really what I want to dive most to in on this episode. So the next thing that you need to do after you've done the math, you still need to do the math so you know what your numbers are. But the next thing you need to do is think about your strategy for actually hitting those numbers on a consistent basis. Now, there is a ton here. We could go on for hours and hours and hours talking about this sort of thing. And I've done full courses that last hours where I where I do that. But let me give you the three biggest things for you to to really get right in my experience. And again, some of these, uh, those of you who've listened to the show for a while may have heard before, but I want to, again, go through this for, for everybody. So the first thing the most important thing I sort of harp on time and time again is specialization. And again, the biggest mistake that I think freelancers make is trying to be everything to everyone and being a generalist. Now, the problem with this is twofold. One, you immediately put yourself in competition with a much larger pool of other freelancers. And oftentimes, especially if you look at sites like Upwork, if you're going to do that sort of thing, or even just in the bigger context of the web, if you're going off your own site, a lot of times if you're new, those freelancers are going to have bigger portfolios, they're going to have more uh, of a job history, they're going to have more testimonials, they're going to have more people talking about them and referrals and so forth. So if you open yourself up to that really wide pool of competition, it can be very difficult to get yourself noticed, to get yourself heard, and be able to get work from that. So you just make the competition part of it a lot harder when you try to take this really wide, open net, be everything to everybody approach. The second thing is that people just by nature, and and I, I can't necessarily explain why this is, But if you look around you, it's fairly obvious, even in your own sort of dealings and your own thinking. But people just naturally don't believe that someone knows everything about everything, right? So it it just comes off as less believable when you say, when you sort of say, I can do anything web development wise. It just, unless you really have some hard proof to be able to demonstrate, not only that you're a good developer, but you've worked in all of these different industries and and you've done all these amazing things in all these different industries to really hammer home that I know everything about everything, it's not going to be naturally believable to people. And if you're new, you probably don't have that experience. You probably you know don't have those things to show people. So when you open yourself up to that wide pool and you make the competition harder and then you don't have the proof to back up your claims, it makes it pretty much impossible for you to get work and it makes competing a lot harder it makes yourself less believable. So the thing that you can do to get around that is to instead pick a niche and specialize in something. Now, again, I'll I'll reference an uh an episode I did here if you go to johnmorrisshow.com and you'll have to actually do a search on this one. This was before I got the numbering down right, but it's episode 192. So, uh the title of is what the hell should I specialize in? 
The URL is really long, but again, it's just episode 192. I walk through how to actually figure out what you should specialize in and how to pick a niche, but you need to specialize in something. Now, when I did this, I specialized in building membership sites using WordPress. You could be a WooCommerce expert. You could be a landing page specialist. You could build social networks, whatever. Whatever it is, figure out an end result that is highly sought after. Right? Don't think in languages. Think in, think in terms of end products because those are the term in which clients think. And the reason this is important, specializing is important, is because it naturally narrows the competition field, right? Because you're not, you're not now suddenly not competing with everybody that does web development. You're keep competing with people who also specialize in building WooCommerce sites or membership sites with WordPress or landing pages. It's a lot narrower, narrower, narrower field of competition. And by saying I specialize in this one thing, again, it's sort of this, this, it's like I'm almost like a Jedi mind trick with people. When you say you specialize in one thing and make a claim that you're the best in that one thing, and you and you sort of position it saying, "Look, I don't know a lot about a lot of things, but what I do know is building landing pages." When you sort of say it like that and position it like that, it's just automatically believable. If you've ever heard someone say that, I, I've heard other people sort of on the internet do that, and when they say it. It just automatically has this air of believability about it. So if you if you do that, then it sort of helps you to get around having to provide a ton of proof because you don't necessarily have it if you're new because you don't have a bunch of clients you've worked with. You don't have a bunch of testimonials and job history and so forth. So it allows you to sort of skirt around that and have an air of believability right from the start. Now, I've talked in other podcasts about how to do your portfolio in a way, so it's important to still have that and so forth, but specializing allows you to sort of skirt around this. Now, I was asked, uh, one of the follow-up questions I asked is to give an example or explain more this idea of end products versus sort of speaking in terms of languages. So the example that I would use, again, going back to sort of my own experiences, is if you were building a membership site for somebody. You might use HTML and CSS and JavaScript and PHP and, and MySQL. And if you were to build a Upwork profile or a services sales page where you talked primarily about how you knew HTML and CSS and JavaScript and PHP and MySQL and you talked about the different things you've done that helped you to know those languages and, and so forth and you really focused on the language aspect of it, which is what a lot of developers do, then a savvy and informed client might be able to figure out that to get his or her membership site built, that they need someone who knows those languages, right? They might do the research and figure out, okay, I need someone who knows this stuff. So if you only talk about knowing, if if on your stuff, your marketing, your pages, you only talk about knowing those languages, then there might be clients that are able to piece it together and figure out that you can build a membership site for them. But why make them have to go through that work and make that connection? It's going to make it harder for you to get hired. So instead, what you do when writing your bios or your services pages is you talk primarily about how you build membership sites, the features of the membership sites that you build. You could reference past projects that you may have worked on if you've done that that revolved around membership sites or 
you you know demonstrate or show the portfolio items that you have that are membership sites that you've built and so on. You would focus on this end product. So a membership site is an end product. It's the thing the thing that they want built. A landing page is an end product. A social network is an end product. Languages are not end products. And so the clients just don't think in those terms. Now you might mention the languages offhand, but you know, clients tend to think in terms of what they want built. They want a membership site, a landing page, a social network, a blog, a CMS, a business website. So what you have to do is just do the research and figure out what's out there in terms of these end products, not languages, that is in high demand, that clients want built, that you yourself also can and want to build. And find that sort of match between high demand and stuff you can do for them. And that's when you find a good niche for yourself. That's when you find what you uh, you ought to specialize in. And then once you figure that out, then just build your profile or your portfolio, your services page, etc. to demonstrate to people that you are an expert in that one thing and focus on talking about the end product, not necessarily the languages that lead up to it. If you do that, you'll, of course, have less competition that you've got to work with. You'll be more believable and you'll be more relevant to the client in terms of speaking in the terms that they speak and that they naturally understand. So I talk a lot about specialization there because that's the most important part. Of course, it's not the only thing. So the second big thing when it comes to to making all of these numbers work is your delivery. So at the end of the day, we are in a service services industry. And service industries have been around since forever. There's, there's nothing, they're not new. And the keys to success in a service industry are well established. So there's no need to overthink it or reinvent the wheel. We know what works. And what works long term is you're going to make your money off of referrals by doing a good job for people. And they can't help when someone asks who they use to build their website or, hey, I'm looking to build a website. Do you know anybody? They're going to refer you. Or maybe they even just start talking. You were so good. They just start talking about you randomly to, to people in their industry or people they work with or their friends, etc. And you get referrals that way. So again, long term referrals is where you make your money in any service industry, including ours. Now, today that has a bit of a caveat because we have sites like Upwork. And they're really, really popular. And there's a lot of clients that go there to get work. So the way referrals work is a little bit different because those sites track things like job success score, client ratings, testimonials, et cetera. They actually put quantitative data to it and display it on your profile. So your referrals on sites like that aren't necessarily going to be those clients recommending you to somebody, although that can happen. But a lot of times it's People do a search and you rank high because you have a high job success score and they see your job success score. They read through the testimonials and the things clients have said about you. They look at your ratings and so forth. And that is sort of how the referral happens. Uh, and so uh, you have to keep that in mind, but it all ultimately comes down to delivery because job success score, testimonials, ratings, they all come down to how you deliver. So there are three things to really nail when it comes to how you deliver. The first one is your delivery schedule. So one of the best things that you can do to wow a client is to develop and then give, give them your plan for executing on 
on their project. So they have a bit of a roadmap. They, they, they have a sense of what's coming, what's happening, when it's happened, when each part is supposed to be done. It helps relieve a lot of the anxiety that they feel because they see, okay, this guy, this gal has a plan and, and we're hitting our benchmarks here so we're on track. Now, if you're specializing, this is really easy to do because the projects that you're doing, because you're, you're, you're limiting yourself to a specific niche, the projects that you do are generally going to be the same each time. So the first time you do it, you just write down you know, what you did. And then the next time you go to do that pro- a similar project to that, you sort of have a roadmap right there. And as you go, each time you do one of these projects, you can sort of refine that. But then you take that and you give that to the client. So uh, again, they they have an idea of what's coming. And then just, like I said, give it to them and make sure you follow it. And if anything's off track or is going to change, you make sure you communicate that well to the client. Which, of course, leads to the second thing that you really need to nail, to need to nail which is communication. And this is probably the number one cl- uh, complaint you'll hear from clients is that they have to drag the communication out of most developers. So one of the easiest ways to give them a five-star experience, quote-unquote, is to communicate effectively and communicate often. It helps keep them relaxed helps keep them knowing what's going on, helps keep them from worrying about whether you're about to flake on them because they probably had that happen to them in the past. And it has the side benefit of them bugging you less because they start to trust you that if if there's something that's important that you need to communicate, you'll do it proactively. They're not going to have to drag that communication out of you. And the, over time, they'll be uh, less likely to, to bug you. So it, it benefits both parties in that sense. The third thing here then is speed. So I always caveat this by saying not at the cost of quality because some people tend to think that those two things are mutually exclusive and they're actually not because when you specialize, again, we've we've sort of hammered this, but when you specialize, you have that delivery schedule and you're doing the same thing over and over. You're naturally going to speed up. So you you can actually, and you're also going to get better at actually creating the thing you're creating. So your quality actually gets better, but your speed also actually gets better too. So they're not mutually exclusive. But again, so you don't want to do speed at the cost of quality, but you have to understand clients really pay, pay attention to timelines and they matter to clients. And one of the easiest ways to wow people is to do things faster than you said you were going to. So the trick here is how you manage expectations, in my opinion. Because if you tell a client it'll take two weeks to finish a project and it takes three, then they're going to be disappointed. But if you tell them it's going to take four and it takes three, then they'll be happy. Now, in both of those scenarios, the project took the exact same amount of time to complete. It took three weeks. But you're you're going to have a far different reaction from your clients depending on how you manage expectations and how you relay that timeline to them. So always keep that in mind. It's better to tell them it's going to take longer and then it takes less than to try and in order to get the work, tell them it's going to take a short amount of time and then it takes longer. And you always should prioritize uh, delivery and, and, and referrals over immediate, that immediate desire to want to get that particular project. It takes discipline to do that, but in the long run, manage, uh, prioritizing deliver, delivery over marketing is going to benefit you uh, the most. All right, then the last big thing here to 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 nail when it comes to uh, the strategy here is 
you want to um, make sure you want to find ways to get exposure for what you do. So everything I covered so far is great, but it doesn't really matter if no one knows who you are or sees your sales pages, your freelancing profile, and you're not getting any work. Now, sites like Upwork do help with that, but even then, I highly strongly recommend and think it's better that you take your marketing into your own hands and you have control of it instead of being at the mercy of you know, these other sites and so forth. So my suggestion is that you pick one medium to start off with or one sort of site or method to start off with. So YouTube, it could be your own blog, it could be a podcast like this, it could be Stack Overflow, it could be Quora. There's lots of different sites and methods out there that you can use to build an audience. But you want to pick one and then start building that audience, start establishing credibility and gaining exposure to the services you off offer. And again, pick one and dig into it deep. Really go all in on that one. If you try and do a bunch of different ones right off the bat, it can get sort of overwhelming and sort of spread you a little bit thin. And and you really right at first want to nail down your ability to create that sort of content on these different sites and 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 work on these sites. You really want to focus on getting good at one first before you branch out. So again, pick one and dig into it deep and then just know the kind of content your ideal potential clients are looking for online. So for example, if I were, uh, again, doing membership sites, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't make content based around social networks or landing pages. I would talk primarily about membership sites and I would figure out the kind of content that people who are building membership sites are looking for. And there's tools out there like uh, the keyword tool for Google AdWords. There's Google Trends. You can use the look at the YouTube searches and so forth and try to get a sense of the kind of content that these people are uh, naturally looking for. Sometimes it is going to be technical uh, technical content that they're after. They're going to look, be looking for how to build their membership sites themselves and et cetera. But there's also going to be a, a marketing component to that. A, how do I create con for membership sites? How do I create content on a consistent basis? There are going to be other things around that, that you can dive into research, learn about, and then you can create content that will appeal to those people and, and give them some of that information. So uh, you know, when I built membership sites, for example, you know, I, I might do a blog post on, say, how to integrate a WordPress blog with PayPal. And I'd lay out the actual steps for creating the PayPal buttons and handling the registrations on the back and et cetera, and actually talk through exactly how to do it and give them the actual code for doing it because I want to make this post really popular. I want people linking to it. I want to get it shared on social media. I want a lot of people coming to this post and getting a lot of attention and traffic because I know that there is a certain percentage of the people who visit that post who just won't want to mess with it. And there always is this percentage of people in anything in any industry who will read all that. They'll see all the codes there that they could do it themselves. And they'll be like, nah, I don't want to do it. I just don't even want to mess with it. I'll, I want to hire somebody. Well, why not hire the person whose post they just read that just wowed them and was sort of blew them away and, and got them to realize that this could all be done? Why not? Why not hire that person? So you make it easy for them to do that. 
by putting a little message that speaks to all this at the end of a post like that. So you might say something like, don't want to mess with all this? I can do it for you. Here's a link to my profile to learn more about hiring me. And it can literally be that simple. You write a really good blog post that explains how to do something. And then at the end of it, you say, don't want to mess with it all. I can do it for you. Here's a link to my profile. That's it. And if you create you know, 50 or 100 blog posts or 50 or 100 YouTube uh, videos or podcast episodes or whatever, if you create a bunch of those and do that in every single one of them, it won't take long before you have a lot of people that want to hire you and, and really get to the point where you have more clients than you can handle. So you need to go out and be proactive about getting that exposure. And that's a really great way uh, to go and do it. Just make sure you pick one of these mediums and dive in on it specifically uh, at first. And then once you sort of get a routine and get that down, then you can branch out. All right. The last thing that I want to talk about at this point is sort of give you some unsolicited advice uh, about all of this. So everything I've talked to up to this point probably sounds great. And you're like, okay, I feel like I've got the numbers down. There's a a pathway for me to do this. Hopefully feel like you've got some clarity on on what exactly to do to actually get to this 50K mark. But I do want to warn you and, and say, be careful. Because as all this starts to play out and you see it, it working, it gets really, really easy to get wrapped up in the momentum of it all and get carried away and have a really hard time saying no. But you have to learn how to say no. And I, I say this because I went through this a few years back and I did everything that I just talked about. I you know, set up my, my, back then it was Elance, but I set up my profile this way. I started creating content, started pushing people towards it, started doing all of this and I was getting probably six to eight quote requests each month. And these were for big projects. Right? These were I could probably only do maybe one to two at most, absolute most in a month of these sort of projects. But I was getting six to eight quote requests a month. And it became really, really difficult to say no. And eventually what happened is by the end of the year, because I was saying yes a lot more than I should have, I was completely burned out. And I ended up uh, over the after the Christmas sort of break that year, I came back in January and I basically fired all of my clients. I said, I'm not doing client work anymore. I'm done. I got rid of all of them except for one uh, who was paying me on a retainer at that point. And so I, I kept that one client but got rid of everybody else. And it wasn't because they were bad clients. It wasn't because it wasn't the kind of projects. I, I was just completely burnt out because I was saying yes way too much. And so again, you have to learn how to manage all of this in the scope of your life and not just work yourself to death because it's really hard to turn down the money, but you're going to have to do it. Otherwise, what happens is you get burnt out. You sort of just say, screw everything. And you like go into a cave for like two or three months and then you come back out and now you know, you've sort of hurt your reputation and sort of hurt your momentum and so forth. So you just, you have to think about how to manage all of it. And one of the, one of the really simple things that you can do is as you start getting clients, start thinking about the ones that you really like working with, the ones that you're just like happy to talk to and happy to do stuff for, because 
whatever the reasons are. Maybe they're really easy to work with or maybe they're really direct. Maybe that's what you like. Whatever it is, really look at those people and what is it about them that you like? And what do all of these uh, sort of clients that you like tend to have in common? And then start thinking about, well, how can you pre-select for those kinds of clients in your marketing? Are there things that you can say or things that you can ask or things that you require that will sort of weed out the people who don't fit this really ideal client that you like working with? And what are the red flags that you start to see for people that maybe you know you're not going to like working with? What are some of those that you can identify? And when you see them, the big thing is you have to be willing to walk away. You have to be willing to say no. Otherwise, you're just going to get overrun and overwhelmed, uh, burn out, and, and, and just sort of walk away in a really uh, bad, sort of abrupt, difficult way that could actually hurt you long term. So again, just think about that. Keep in mind that you have to learn how to say no, uh, and, and good luck with everything. Hopefully, you find uh, this answer, this podcast helpful in doing all that. Now, if I might finish up here and and humbly suggest to you that if you are planning on using Upwork as a part of all of this, then take a look at my Upwork course at upwork101.com. The reason why is it actually walks you through the the building your profile step-by-step part. So we each lesson actually takes a part of your profile and breaks it down and talks about how you should fill it out. So the title, the description, the portfolio, what tests to take, all that sort of stuff. And and sort of it's all in the context of showing you the strategy to use when you're new to one of these particular uh, sites. And it revolves around this idea of relevance over rank, which is really important when you're new because it allows you to rank higher than you normally might when you have no job history, no success score, and all of that. And it... Uh, you can you can tap into it can be hard to compete on these sites when you don't have those things and they're they are a lot about rank however upwork specifically if you look at what it says it's not just about finding the best freelancers it's about finding the best freelancers for a particular project so there's a elements element of relevance there that is really really important and again, in Upwork 101, I show, I talk about that and how to use that when you're just getting started on Upwork to, to be able to get some work right off the bat. So anyway, a lot of people have gotten value from it and it's helped them to get that sort of initial jumpstart on Upwork that can be hard to get past. So again, I humbly suggest checking that out. Again, it's, Humwork, it's Upwork101.com for all the details on that. All right, that'll do it for this episode. If you liked the episode, I'd appreciate it if you should share it with somebody who could use these tips and, and learn from this and get value from this. I'd greatly appreciate that. Also, if you want all the past episodes and, and all that sort of thing and, and the, the links to subscribe on Android, uh, iTunes, tune in, all that at johnmorrisshow.com. Also, as I mentioned, all the links that I've mentioned here and all that sort of thing, you'll find on the show notes page for this episode at johnmorrisshow.com slash 272. So if you're looking for that, that's where you can find all that. And then... Finally, if you would leave me an honest review of the podcast over on iTunes, that helps the podcast get exposure, it helps it grow, helps build this community. I would really appreciate that. And I will also give you module one of my PHP 101 
course for free if you'll do that. All the details on how to do that and how to get that module one uh, for free are at johnmoreshow.com. Just click on the start here link at the top. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.